0: So this uh, this evening, I would like to continue a little bit uh, of looking at uh, identity, and in a way looking at identity in a different way, uh, looking a little bit at identity in terms of our inner condition, <laughs> and looking at identity a little bit in terms of relationship, and also. Uh, looking at identity in terms of work, of uh, creativity, activity. So, as I was uh, pointing out, suggesting last time, we are actually a flow of conditions, inner conditions meeting outer conditions, and so part of the practice is to see, uh, in a way, or not every single one but to discover more and more the conditions that are part of us but also that impact us. So you could say that the meditation is also uh, a journey of discovery. And I think this is where we have to be very careful uh, to not think often uh, you hear this word, <coughs> unconditional, like, which gives the impression that we might reach a condition, a state which will be unconditional, which might give the impression that it will be beyond anything. But personally, I would say actually it's the contrary. I feel that what we're trying to do is actually to be more aware of the variety, the complexity, the processes of the various conditions that we're involved in, in terms of our inner condition and meeting outer conditions. And so, you could nearly say that our identity, the way we feel at any given moment, is constituted constituted by some conditions which are not going to change too much, though they could change abruptly. So something, even when we talk about impermanence, We are not saying everything is changing every millisecond. Something will change more than others and something will be more continuous than others. So for example, it's extremely unlikely that tomorrow I will be a pink giraffe. I mean, I could be dead tomorrow, this is more likely than me being a pink giraffe, that unless something happened to the universe and we all become different than what we are. So there is a certain continuity that I'm kind of relatively the same person and generally I can recognize myself in the mirror and others too can recognize, oh yeah, this is the same person. Like, you know, every day Martin Bachelor was not kind of, you know, really different a little bit, but not so much, a little more tired, less tired, brighter, less bright, or whatever. So then, if we look at the condition that forms us, is what often happens is that we identify with just one, and this is tricky. Because in a way, we are this complex, processual flow of condition meeting outer condition. So in a way, you you could see it as this kind kind of, you know, different things coming together, moving together, something quite complex, quite processual. And then suddenly, we grasp at one bit. And then, by grasping at it, we say, this is me, and then, this is all of me. And this, of course, becomes very painful. To, you know, you suddenly, you have a thought. I mean, you might have had that experience. You suddenly have a thought. And is it a, it's a story, it's a situation, whatever it is you have this thought and then it occupies everything and then it's like you are just that thought. Nothing else exists. Which means that you reduce your identity to just that one segment of this flow of condition. And that can be so painful because as soon as we grasp at it and reduce ourselves to it, we're going to magnify that segment. Or we can do this with a sensation. I mean, this happens often. If we have a a pain somewhere, or if we have an exquisite (coughs) sensation, it's the same. Ah, that was such a fantastic sensation. I want to feel this forever after. Unlikely, because of impermanence. But I want it. I want to reproduce it. I want to repeat it. That's what you have to be a little careful in uh, when you do meditation retreat. You might have a very sweet moment of being very calm, very clear, very loving, experiencing gladness. And it's, ah, oh, it's nice. But that too will pass because it's according to conditions. And so to be careful that when you sit in meditation again, you're trying to reproduce exactly the same condition to have exactly the same calmness, gladness, whatever it is. When actually you can have a a new one, another calm, another gladness, another moment of deep love, but not exactly the same one as before. So we have to be careful you know, we could grasp at a pleasant sensation, we can grasp at an unpleasant sensation and reduce ourselves to it. And sometimes, if the pain is so intense, it's very hard not to reduce ourselves to something which is painful because this is all we experience. Ah, <gasps> this is so painful. And then it's kind of like your whole identity is just pain. And this is so difficult. This is kind of like, it's nearly so unbearable. So in a way, it's kind of like, yes, I might have this great pain, but I am not just that great pain. There is other aspect of my experience. And there is a wonderful book By Darlene Cohen, who, uh, when she she was a Zen teacher in America, and then she suddenly, 40 years old, she has very heavy (coughs) rheumatoid arthritis. And what is very interesting is to see how she handled the pain in different situations, in different conditions. That she's not, I am this great Zen teacher, pain. I am above it all. No, no, It's what is wonderful about the book is it shows all the different moments she has with the pain. Sometimes she can't move, so she's just lying down in bed and just being aware of everything else around herself with that pain on the bed. So that she's not just the pain, but she's also the awareness of everything else in the room Plus, the children playing outside. And it really opened up that experience. Other times, she'll tell about kind of devising movement so she has less pain. Other times, she tells of just eating ice cream and watching soaps. And other times, she just gets up and shouts out and cries out in pain. And then her son and her husband join in, because it's painful for everybody to know that she is too in pain. So she showed that actually, yeah, you have this condition, pain, but that there is so many different ways that you can relate to it according to the condition in which you find yourself in. Or we might identify with an emotion. Again, an emotion is very strong the emotion of fear, or the emotion of anger, or the emotion of sadness, or the emotion of excitement, happiness. And this is me, this happy person. This is me, this sad person, this angry person. But we are more than an emotion. But can we see that when we experience a strong emotion? This is, in a way, with the meditation, is trying to bring a little space so that we can, okay, yeah, I have this strong emotion. I mean, it's changing my whole, the way I feel about myself. But I am not just that, (coughs) however strong it is. So in a way, it's kind of like the practice, and that's where the what is is can be so useful. What is this? And to see that there is more than just emotion. We also have many different things at that moment. And then I wanted to, to look a little bit at qualities. This is interesting, qualities. Having this impression, I am a good person. And I, I am always a good person. I am a bad person. I'm always a bad person. But you see that actually goodness and badness very much depends on condition. Of course, you could have a tendency to be quite a nice person. And some people could have a tendency to be a little kind of anxious, angry, uh, difficult person. But in a way we're not. Good all the time to the same degree in all circumstances. But then, if we have this impression, "Oh, I am a good person," and then suddenly you do something bad, it's like, "Hmm, huh? this is not me." It's interesting. Huh? This is not me. It's interesting how it forms. But to see how oh, it's according to condition, it's the same uh, with a. Somebody who supposedly is difficult or bad, only they're not difficult and bad all the time. At time to time they're nice person. You know, what's the matter with them? They're nice now, you know? Because in a way we have to see that not only do we identify ourselves, we want condition, we identify others. So this is something which is very important to see, that we do the same to others. And so then, they too are a flow of condition, inner meeting outer. And then we do the same. Oh, they think this, that's it, that's them. Or they have this kind of body, ah, that's them. Or they have this kind of emotion, that's them. And so in a way, we can again, we, we can narrow the possibility of the identity of that person, who could have a tendency to be that way or another, but is not all the time exactly like that. So in a way, it's kind of like seeing how to, to, to look at when is it that I'm fixing the identity. So in a way, you could make the difference between when is it so you have identity, and this is important, to have an identity, I mean, it's just just being a person. There is nothing against having a certain identity composed of different elements which will be more there or not. But then the question, is identity a restraint? Does, does the identity fix myself or other? Or is, is the identity just a support? just kind of like sustaining ourselves according to different circumstances. And I think this is in a way, when we look at identity, am I fixing it? Or is it sustaining me? The same with others. Am I fixing them? Am I seeing them with a wider angle? Then, looking at Love. I mean, we had a few notes about romantic love and love. (coughs) And it is true, as Stephen mentioned, in monastic texts, they generally will not uh, talk much, if at all, about romantic love. But let's talk just about love, of which, in the middle of that, you also have romantic love. And what is love? I think love actually is a very important function, a very important emotional function. It has different, actually, functions. One function is to relate to others, to cherish others. One function, I feel, is actually to experience gladness. That actually, if we love something, then generally it brings lightness it brings warmth. And I think it, and this is a very important quality. And then I think the thing also with um, love is that it's kind of really, it's like opening our heart to ourselves and to others. And I remember my first time many, many years ago, I was sitting in meditation and at the time I was living in a Buddhist community which Everybody tried hard, but sometimes it was better than others, like all community. And so I was sitting in meditation, and before coming to the retreat, I had, had a little difficulty with one or two members of the community. Mm. Ah. Then I was sitting there, and suddenly it's like my heart opened, and there was nobody I could not love. And in a way, this is one of the elements. This morning, Stephen was talking about equanimity. And actually, one of the elements of equanimity is of treating people equally. And to me, there is that quality when there is that law which is really wide open. And suddenly, it's like there is nobody I cannot love. those one not sure about. Those ones, ooh, yes, 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 yes. Those one maybe a little bit, you know. So generally, we're kind of fairly parsimonious about our love, you know, goes there, I'm not there, those one little sprinkle, but not much. <laughs> and of course, this is not saying that we're going to love everybody to the same degree. Of course, according to condition, some people will have more kind of, you know, meeting of mind, meeting of heart, some people not so much, some people we can understand, some people not so much. I mean, I lived in different communities, and what I learned is that you might not necessarily like everybody, but you can care for everybody. And living together, there is this shared humanity that, in a way, you discover. And so, in a way, I think love is very important. And so it's really something also to cultivate, to be aware of, to recognize. But then, what kind of love is it? That it be to children, to nature, to romantic love, to family, to trees, etc. So we love, and the fact that we love something, somebody, means that generally ah, we feel a little uplift, we feel a little warm. What if we started by ourselves? Because sometimes, this is very strange, sometimes we don't love ourselves. But that's tricky because then we stalk 24 hours a day with somebody we don't like. I mean, that's not such a nice situation, is it? But in a way, if we loved ourselves, then we could be light and warm all the time, on tap. I mean, and then if we love somebody else, it would be kind of the cherry on the cake. But then let's look at this love we have for somebody, mm-hmm. let's say a partner. So we are with the person, and mm, It feels nice, it feels, oh, it feels nice. Then, the first thing often we do is we stick to the person. <laughs> because then, as long as we're with the person, we get the nice feeling mm. that's what I did at the beginning when I got married to Stephen long ago I would stick to him, <laughs> until I thought this is not a good idea
1: <laughs>
0: and then I realized that actually because you see the thing with romantic love for example we have this notion that romantic love is a merger So yeah you become an egg like you have two eggs and <laughs> two eggs merge and become one egg you know? So this is really kind of a fantasy. Uh, long ago, I, had, when I was eighteen, I had those fantasy. You know, my thought would be his thought, and my, and then I thought, absolutely not. That's not what happened anyway. But then you might not want to know everybody's thought, and everybody's feeling. You know, you know. So it's, to be careful with the myth. And personally, I feel <coughs> there is like you have two parallel lines. So you have two people. You have two parallel lines, and so you have the love you build together, and then you have the love you build outside of that, with friends, family, many different things. And so to be careful not to think love is justice in the, between the two of us. It's also love that we develop independently of each other. But then the question is how I develop love together. Once we pass, when, the falling in love and intensity, this generally doesn't last. C'est la vie. And so then you go from this falling in love to this, what I would call, creative wise love that we can develop together. And then the second point that arises is do I identify the person with the feeling that I have for them? So if I feel this "Mm," warm feeling, if I love them, it means that I feel the feeling all the time. But I don't know about you, can you feel a warm feeling to your partner or child or whoever all the time, 24 hours a day? Not. Time to time you have a little burst, "Mm," but most of the time it's kind of a nice little glow but not this big, bang. So this is interesting because then if you associate love with the feeling which is generated by the person, supposedly, what if the feeling is not there? Does it mean you don't love the person? Or is it that again, love is someone, depends to a certain degree on certain conditions? condition we might want to cultivate, appreciation, caring, and many different things. So this is interesting. When we look at love, what is it we identify with? Do we identify with the person? Do we identify with the feeling? Or do we see this again as a process, something dependent on conditions, something that I can cultivate, something that I can kind of in a way build up that both of us can be love. And I would say within that, to me, in a way the greatest thing with love is the fact that if we love someone, that it be a child, a partner, family member, anybody else, we actually say a yes to that person. In a way, we're kind of saying, yes, you are worthy of my love. That's not the way we say it, but that's the way the person feels it. That this person loves me. I don't love myself, but they, they love me. I don't know what the problem is with them, but they love me. <laughs> no, this is interesting. So in a way, the person loves you, and it's a gift. But then, do we, le- do we love with condition? If you like this, I love you. If not, not. I'm not saying uh, that uh, there is not kind of, you know, one has to be careful, of course. If the person is harmful, you have to get out. But it's very interesting. Let's say we fall in love with each other, and so there is this very strong, beautiful feeling. And then you decide to live together. And then The love is still there. But what meets is a set of habits. And to see that actually our identity often partly is a set of habits. And if you start living together you realize their habits are different than yours and yours are better than theirs. (laughs) And then you think if they love me enough, <laughs> they will adopt my habit. <laughs> but generally not, because habits are very stru- very difficult to change. Because a lot of these habits are survival habits. You have to see a lot of our habits are actually survival mechanisms. That you know, it becomes strangely part of our identity. They might have been useful as children or coping with certain circumstances. But now that we are adults, we might not need them anymore. But we still use them because we're so used to them. So this is something we can look a little bit, in a way we can discover. If you live on your own, you don't discover your habits as much. But if you live with someone else, then generally you get, and you think, I would not do this that way. This is the right way to do this. (laughs) Interesting. How identity, really identity is also in that. My habit. No, my habit. That's kind of interesting to see how the identity gets into the the habits. And then there is uh, another aspect of our identity. It's work. Work is, again, that can be a big part of our life. It can be work to earn money. It can be work as uh, trying to help others. It can be work as in creative work. It can be. I mean, it can be many different things. But I would say, as a human being, generally, it is helpful to be active, to do something. Generally, it kind of gives us something bodily, mentally. So, to do a task, to accomplish something, generally, is healthy for us. And then. Uh, What is our relationship to work? And how do we identify? And of course, we can, if you do something a lot, like if you do something eight hours a day, I mean, during this retreat, I am a teacher, but does my identity need to be stuck there? and then I go back home and I teach my mother and I teach the kind of the baker and I teach everybody. <coughs> Not. You see, this is what is interesting is that our, I, we, have, we have roles, part of our identity is roles. So one moment I am a teacher, next moment I am a passerby, next moment I am a daughter, a sister, Etc., etc., a passenger on a train, or etc. So, in a way, our identity kind of shift. Some are not very long, some for a long period of time. So, you know, the longer you do it, like in a job, if you do it, you know, uh, six, seven, or eight hours a day, five days a week, I mean, that, of course, becomes your identity a big part of my identity is my work or what I produce or the fact that I help people or the fact that I am useful or the fact that I am creative. Or, this is kind of like where it becomes a little tricky as Stefano was pointing out the other day, is that often when we were we produce something. And that something is going to be judged, either by your superior, you did a good job, or you had a good outcome if you sell a product, or as a writer, for example, I spent, like Stephen spent, three years writing a book. And then, it's a great book, (laughs) I read it Uh, so you can wait for it next year but what happens like he found uh, publishers but what if you spend three years writing a book and then you send your book to one publisher ten publishers, forty publishers and each of them say no way not bad, but not good enough. Or not interested. Or it does not fit the time. Ten years ago it was okay. Or whatever it might be. How does one feel? So I think in a way. Again, there is a question, you know, do my livelihood depend on it financially? That's again also the part of it. But if we put everything in it, my life depends upon, upon this book. My identity rests in me being a writer, a writer that has book which is published. Then the difficulty is that it depends on others. And the market can be very difficult. And that's why it's kind of so tricky. Yes, being a writer can be part of my identity, yes, I can possibly find writing... I mean, Stephen wrote a novel of the life of the Buddha. Again, it's not bad, interesting. And again, he sent it to... This was many years ago. And he sent it to many publishers. And they also said, not interested. So that was an interesting experience, because, you know, he, he loves novels, and he wanted to write a novel, but... What that experience made him see, actually I don't have the skill to be a novelist. You know, I have, I have good skill for, fact, for kind of facts, non-fiction, but for fiction, in a way he realized I don't have what it takes. It's not bad, but it doesn't have that thing. So in a way it's kind of like, can I be good at what I want to do? And to what degree can I be good at it? And to what degree can I find a public? And so this is kind of, kind of the thing with identity in terms of one's work. And if we can continue to do the work, if other people appreciate our work. And that's not easy. And so sometimes your work has to be financially doing something to earn money but in a way your work might be something else which is not paid and so I think it's kind of like sometimes we want to have everything in one thing. I mean personally for 10 years when I started my working life uh, I was a house cleaner and I know. Uh, when the job was proposed to me, and I really, I mean, there was nothing else I could do. I mean, I don't have anything from a university, I had, I had no qualification, I'm, apart from being a Buddhist nun for 10 years, that's not very good qualification. <laughs> so, then the person said, well, you, there is this little uh, house cleaning job, you could do that. And I could feel there, I can use the term, Mahigo sing sink, house cleaner? Me? I used to be a nerd. <laughs> and also in my youth, I did not look like house cleaning too. I mean, there was a little of this too. And then I thought, you know, I need to earn money. And I thought, okay, let's become a house cleaner. And actually, that was a great job. I'm a great fan of house cleaner now, <laughs> <laughs> and I try to pay mine more than the rate, um, because once I gone past this, my identity house cleaner, and uh, it was a great job to do for a <coughs> great person, and I brought lots of mindfulness to it, so it was wonderful learning experience, and so this is what we have to be careful. Because then society decide which job gives you a good identity. So if if you are an IT internet person, your identity is quite good. If you are a house cleaner, your identity is a bit low. If you work in a factory, depending a little low. If you kind of like you know a CEO, I mean the, I don't know why they give so much money to the CEO and things of that nature. Sorry for the CEO we have here. <laughs> and we have to be careful of that. Do I do a job I can do? Do I do the best I can do? Is it harmless? This is one of the things. Is it harmless? Because the, the Buddha talks about appropriate livelihood. And by that he means a work which is relatively satisfying, a work that you can do, and a work that is not harming yourself, nor harming others. So it's kind of like, again, looking at the different angle. But again, when I talk about work, to be careful to put all our identity in it. And what if I don't do a good job? Does my identity go down? If I do a good job, does my identity go up? And this is also kind of, you know, sometimes the difficulties that can happen. Or, like we have been talking up to now, do I try to do the best considering the circumstances? And it brings me back to this flow of condition. There is this flow of inner condition meeting outer condition, and the condition of many, from our role, from our quality, from our work. So in a way, our identity is actually very rich, because it can be kind of very varied, and it can be a little more like this here, a little more like that there, And I think this is what is vital, not that we don't do certain work, not that we don't have certain relationship, but that this is all part of the picture. And not one thing is just our identity. This is really something, the only thing, in a way, about this talk tonight would be that. Can I see the different, can I see uh, my identity more as something which is like a dance, which is like kind of an exploration. And at different time, I'll be a little more different things. But in each of these components of the identity, I will try to do the best I can, considering the condition. And if I am stressed, that will be more difficult. If I'm really full of energy, it will be easier. If I am ill, it will be more difficult. If I have lots of kind of, everything is going well, it will be easier. So I think in a way, to see what, I mean, a little exercise I would suggest in terms of identity is looking at ourselves in the mirror. So we brush our teeth, and I don't know, me, I brush my teeth, and I'm in front of the mirror. And so, you know, kind of, generally once or twice a day, you see yourself in the mirror. And you can look so different. You know, sometimes you look like, yeah, you know, young, energetic, yes. Then other time, you, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you age, you know, 10 years in a day. And it's the same person. But actually, the person looks so different. Then the question is, which is my identity—the useful one or the kind of little tired and over the hill one? It's just processual; it just comes and goes. So, can in a way we play with it and not fix ourselves in any of those points? So. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.